Welcome to Grain IQ. I'm Chad Moyer. An opportunity for you to shore up your marketing plan. Hopefully this information helps you do that. On today's program, we're visiting with Brian Split from agmarket.net. And again, this continues our series on uh, uh, supported by the Nebraska Soybean Board in an effort with us here at the Nebraska Rural Radio Association. Brian, thanks for joining us here today. Uh, before we get into today's conversation, maybe you can just tell us a little bit about uh, agmarket.net since this is the first time that you've been on the podcast with us. Uh, tell us a little bit about you and, and your company. Sure, um, agmarket.net is a full service commodity brokerage and a consulting firm. So we do represent producers and end users on the board of trade. Uh, we use futures and options to hedge. Um, inevitably, as you build a relationship with clients, they may wanna do a little speculating. So we, we can uh, offer that as well, um, you know, uh, within risk parameters that we uh, help uh, establish with the client directly. Uh, consulting is done on a per acre basis, and uh, that involves using our app to really track your uh, input costs, costs that may arise through the course of the marketing year, track sales, track your break-evens. Um, and so that's a little bit more full-service, hands-on approach. Uh, the company was established a little over four years ago with partners being myself, uh, Matt Bennett, Jim McCormick, and Bill Biederman. Uh, we have uh, decades of experience in the industry, uh, decades of experience in, in actual farm management and farming itself. Uh, so if you have any questions, uh, you know, you can check us out on, online at www.agmarket.net. Uh, we do offer some intel for clients only, but you can get a trial for a few weeks of that. Uh, you can also get a trial at uh, agmarket.app of our, our uh, app that we use, and uh, we'd be happy to walk you through that as well. Sure. Uh, just uh, some thoughts about putting together a marketing plan, like you said, on an individual basis. Uh, in the years that you've been in it, you've worked through and some of the experiences you've had that way. Well, I think the the easiest thing about putting together a marketing plan uh, really should be, and, and maybe it's not for some, but it should be kind of following along with what your your cost of growing your crop is. And, you know, obviously we don't know uh, what the final yield will be. Uh, we can make some assumptions very early in the growing season, maybe just using APH. Generally, producers will outproduce their APH year to year, uh, but you have to make some assumptions ahead of time. Uh, and then you can always change those assumptions as the marketing year rolls around. Uh, you know, you get into July, you get some rains at a good opportune time, maybe you up your, your yield estimate. But the easy part should be taking uh, uh, keeping track of all that and then managing that uh, through the course of the year. Now, I would say the difficult part sometimes can be the execution and staying disciplined. Um, you know, often we get a market that uh, can turn pretty volatile this time of year. And you may have some levels that you're telling yourself, hey, if, if corn or beans get to this price, I, I should make some sales. And then it gets there and you start canceling your order. And you know, if you sell it there, you're going to be able to make money and, and have a good return on a per acre basis, but it's the emotion that comes into play, especially when the market's moving fast, that makes it difficult to stay disciplined. Well, let's maybe uh, get into a little bit more and what we're going to spend some time on here today. And that is just talking about especially crops that are grown in the northern areas of the corn belt and the soybean belt. Um, we've spent a lot of time talking about corn and soybeans. You know, alfalfa gets talked about uh, as uh, kind of the the third crop or wheat does and then alfalfa as major crops. But when you start thinking about what is grown in northern areas, um, uh, Brian, 
you start to put together a number of different crops and you do come up with um, some uh, significant acreages, what are those other crops that get talked about alongside corn and soybeans? Well, as you'd mentioned, you're going to be looking at spring wheat. Um, there's uh, quite a bit of, uh, you know, and, and this may even transfer up into Canada where you're going to be looking at some canola. Um, some flowers are going to be another specialty crop. Um, there's an awful lot of smaller crops that are specialty crops that you're not going to be uh, able to do any business on the board of trade to hedge. So it's going to be a much, much more of a, a market that's locally cash market sensitive. Um, you know, and, and besides other areas uh, that we're looking at in Northern Plains, you go further out west, you're going to be looking at a lot of Milo uh, into Texas. So uh, that's another crop that may trade very similar to corn, but has its own distinct cash market and own distinct uh, basis levels. Um, so I think, you know, and you mentioned alfalfa, there's going to be oats up in the Northern Plains. Uh, again, a lot of that is, is uh, further into Canada, but um, there's, there's definitely a demand for specialty crops up in that area um, because of the, the demand source we have for them. And sugar beets, that's going to be another one, right? Uh, that can be a, a very interesting crop to grow. Yeah. Uh, I was a broadcaster in northern Minnesota before I came to Nebraska, and we had dryable beans uh, and potatoes. You know, that was uh, some, of the, some of the other things. When, when you start adding up all of the acreage from, you know, these different small grains, uh, the uh, sugar beets, dryable beans, and things like that, is, is the total acreage of those what, I, what you would call specialty crops, is that enough to influence what happens with corn and soybeans, do you think, Brian? I tend to think that that's a very, very small piece of the overall balance sheet. Um, when you think about the amount of, of total specialty crop acres, um, you know, uh, how much fluctuation are we really going to see year to year? Uh, let's call it, even if it was a million acres, okay? And I, I don't think that that would be that much fluctuation year to year, especially crop versus corn and beans. But uh, if that's the case, you're, you're talking a pretty minimal uh, effect on the on the balance sheet because part of that acreage is going to be corn, part of it's going to be uh, soybeans, part of it will likely be spring wheat. Um, so when you talk about row crops versus specialty crops, uh, I, I tend to think that there's a much more um, uh, impact from you know export demand, overall demand for corn for ethanol, uh, you know our, our feed numbers. Uh, and then potential supply issues on perceived, uh, you know, yield detrimental weather that we may be dealing with for the overall crop. So I, I wouldn't get caught up um, on, on looking at the specialty crop acres as far as a major market mover. Yep. Uh, can we talk about maybe what happened this year and, you know, referencing the spring of 2023? Because I think spring wheat did get talked about as uh, uh, something that could have at least had a small impact on, on the grains. Uh, we came out of a, a kind of a cool, wet spring. And, and in that case, it, it did get talked about. Right, Brian? Yeah. And, and so there was a period of time, and I think last week, uh, we made quite a bit of progress uh, up north that uh, showed a lot of work was done. But um, generally, when you think about some of the wetter years, even in recent history where we've had some delayed planting, so that maybe be like 2019, 2020, and, and even last year, 2022, uh, typically, you know, you think about prevent plant as a whole, um, you might be looking at uh, in those three years on the lower end, 500,000 acres, uh, to on the upper end, uh, 2 million acres. Um, there is a good tool, uh, North Dakota State, uh, NDSU, 
their website has a, a kind of a prevent plant calculator that you can go in and you have to, you know, put your numbers in there and you can look at planning date and uh, versus the insurance date and yield expectations. Uh, and it, it'll give you a pretty honest outlook of whether, um, you know, you're still better off planting past your insurance date versus uh, taking the, the prevent plant. Now, there's a couple things to remember. You have to have um, the ground planted at least one of the last four years um, in order to have that ground eligible for prevent plant. So uh, most of this area should be eligible. Um, but then you're going to be looking at, uh, again, this calculator. And I think most producers would, will want to plant anyway if they can have a, a, sh a shot at uh, growing a crop and um, you know, trying to maximize the yield, uh, they'll take that over the prevent plant because you still have to, you know, do a cover crop or weed management. So it's not like you just take the summer off and la di da, the, you know, the next couple months. Yeah. So let's uh, let's take a scenario, and this would just be a you know a what if? What if uh, in in some of those specialty crop growing areas? Uh, what if we get late enough that those crops can't get planted? If it's sunflowers or sugar beets or whatever the case. Do those acres end up as a, a corn or soybean acres? Is, is there enough history to, to tell us if, if we could add acres to some of the major crops then? I, I don't have the historical data to suggest one way or another, but my first initial thought would be that if, if the specialty crop just could not get planted, uh, that it would likely be put into soybeans if something was going to go on to that ground. And just thinking because you, could get a, you can get away with planting soybeans a little later, is that kind of the thought? Yeah, and you know, I think that's part of what's been going on in the in the recent market dynamics. Uh, if you think about what's been kind of the weak leg here recently, uh, we've seen corn come off the lows, we've seen the wheat market come off the lows, or at least stabilize. Yet the soybean market, new crop soybeans, uh, have made new lows for the move as as recently as today. Uh, and I think we traded down to what was it like eleven sixty three or sixty three and a quarter somewhere in that area. Um, so I. I wonder if maybe this market is pricing in a little bit of, a little bit of late soybean acres uh, coming back into play here. Okay. Um, you mentioned before about the, the prevent plant situation that takes place in uh, the Northern Plains. Um, can you, um, does that offer any uh, impact to corn and soybean marketing? And I'm just thinking that, you know, like what you said, the way you have to deal with prevent plant in, in the Northern Plains. Is there any dynamic about that that can give us into insights into what to watch for, maybe if there is or is not marketing opportunity because of that, Brian? Well, I'm gonna answer that question in, in maybe a different way because I, I do think the way that the producer in North Dakota, for example, markets is different than how a producer in Iowa or Illinois may market. and and. Um, that is due to the um, rather consistent possibility of prevent plant, um, the rather consistent concern of maybe uh, possibly being overmarketed, marketed uh, depending on yield potential through the, the growing season versus a producer in, in Iowa or Illinois. So um, I, I think the, the producer in North Dakota or the producers that I work with in North Dakota are probably much less likely to aggressively market physically, whether that's forward contracts or hedge to arrives, those are physical commitments to the elevator uh, or wherever you're delivering to, um, and, and much more likely to be nimble. Uh, and by nimble, I mean uh, either making sales using futures where if they feel like, hey, 
maybe we have some good sales on it, six bucks, but I don't know if I'm going to get all this crop planted. So I, I might feel like we're overhead. Maybe we should take off, you know, 10, 15,000 bushels of our sales uh, just so we can continue to stay lined up with where I feel my production might be. Uh, or maybe it's simply using some type of a put strategy so they know they have a worst case scenario established as far as a floor. Um, but again, my, my producers uh, further north tend to make much less commitments physically early in the game uh, and then do much more aggressive physical marketing come fall when they know their bushels and then we'll lift hedges or do what we need to do in conjunction with those physical sales. Um, now, as far as is there opportunity, um, I think there's always possible marketing opportunity when you have prevent plant uh, in, a, in a wide sense. So if we had much more acres at play this year, think maybe like a, a 2019. Um, that was a type of year where it wasn't just one area of the Midwest. It was a large swath of the Midwest that was seeing flood conditions. And so for people that are in tune with the market, we were watching this and saying, wow, how are they still selling corn and beans down every day when we've got all this flooding going on? And then all of a sudden it was like the fund manager woke up one day and realized what was happening. And then we took off. Um, and, and then we really didn't see the USDA recognize the yield detriment that that did to the crop till about a year later on the September stocks report, a year after that crop was grown. Uh, and that was when we had the derecho in Iowa and China started coming in buying. So there's a uh, kind of a perfect storm of, of three different major things that kind of culminated to really putting in a strong low in the market, especially because the market broke hard from COVID as well. Um, so I think a year like this, when you've got maybe some uh, minor pockets of, of prevent plant, maybe that provides some local basis opportunity. Uh, but I don't know if that's going to pr provide a major uh, opportunity for the market as a whole. I think the, the potential prevent plant this year is probably pretty min minimal as far as impact to the marketplace in general. All right. So I guess, uh, you know, we've kind of laid the groundwork, uh, you know, what goes on in the upper plains and the upper Midwest. Uh, if you bring that back to the, the farmer, like you said, uh, Western Corn Belt farmer in Nebraska and Western Iowa, um, what, what should we be watching in the Northern Plains? Um, and, and how, how does that, uh, how do we take that in, into account in our marketing plan here in, in Nebraska, Kansas, Iowa, in, in these areas? Well, I mean, one of the things that we saw, and, and this isn't going to be every year, but when you have uh, a poor crop up north, uh, and maybe it's in the northern plains, maybe it's across the border in Canada. We saw that a couple of years ago where Canada had a, an extremely uh, poor corn crop, and they uh, were really pulling corn north uh, across the border. And then so... Um, you know, you can watch basis levels remotely. So if you're a producer in Nebraska and you say, hey, you know, these basis levels up up north are very strong uh, and it's going to take a little while to get in tune with what basis levels typically are if you haven't watched them for, for a period of time. But if you could see that basis levels are, are um, not uh, typically or are atypically strong, um, then that means that there's going to be a pull uh, from other areas that, uh, you know, they may be able to rail uh, uh, to and, and pull grain into that area. Um, but, you know, as far as a producer trying to figure out what's going on in North Dakota, if you're in Nebraska and using that as, as far as your marketing plan, I, I'm not really uh, in the mindset that a producer in Nebraska should be worried about what's going on a few states away for the most part. 
Yeah. You what your response here kind of got me thinking there, too, about uh, just how grain moves in that part of the world. I know there's a couple of major railroads that go through there. Um, is that the is it, uh, you know, feed or end use uh, ethanol? Uh, if, if it uh, is shipped out, it has to go by rail. Is is that kind of the main ways that grain moves up in, in the upper Midwest and upper Great Plains? Yeah, especially if it's going to go to the PNW. Um, you know, I mean, there's going to be some some trucking going on, um, you know, so I, I know a lot of producers in North Dakota had uh, Canadians that would actually come pick up grain on, on their farm um, and, and they were paying uh, considerably higher uh, or stronger basis levels to, to get it there than what the producer in North Dakota would typically see. Uh, but in general, you're going to be looking at the ethanol market, uh, which uh, you know, it's going to be more of a local demand source. So rail is going to take uh, grain to the PNW and that's going to be for export. Um, and so that would be the other main, I mean, we just don't have a, a river system. It's not like you're looking at the, the river and, you know, in the Mississippi and what SIF values are at the Gulf and all that. This is a completely different demand market up north. I guess just as we wrap up, Brian, uh, again, kind of final thoughts. Um, what are the major components of your marketing plan? What do you want to make sure that uh, a producer takes away from the conversation and, and implements in marketing their grain? Well, right now, I mean, I, I think it's extremely important to at least have a somewhat of a handle on, on your costs and, and cost of production. And again, I know there's assumptions you need to make on yield, but I just have had a lot of producers over the years that really don't know where they're at. Um, and sometimes it works for them. Sometimes it doesn't. Maybe if you own your own ground and it's paid off, that's a, a different story. But um, I think right now what I'm focused on, and there's been a lot of talk about December corn and the relationship it's had with 2013. Uh, and, and we continue to, to really follow that path right now. In 2013, we made our high for December corn, the very first trading day of the year, which we've done this year so far. Then you fast forward to February. February is the month where we make our average price for crop insurance. In 2013, we started the month right at 590, which is where we started this year. Uh, then we break going into March. Uh, we make some lows in March prior to the planning intentions and quarterly stock report. We bounce into that report. The day before the report in 2013, our high on December corn was 573 and three quarters. This year it was 576 and a quarter. We're talking a two and a half cent difference. Then we break into May, which we've just done. In 2013, the low was made May 21st. This year was May 18th. So now we're on the same path where we've rallied into Memorial Day weekend. Um, in 2013, we actually gapped higher coming out of the weekend, and we saw them continue to buy it through the rest of the week, ultimately making a peak that Friday into the following Monday. So that would be not this weekend, but next weekend. Um, and that high was a retest of that 570 area where we were at for the quarterly stock report. So I'm going to be watching how corn opens on Monday night after this holiday. If we gap higher, that is probably be because the forecast continues to remain dry. The fund manager is short corn right now, which is the size of their short has been rather aggressive, especially for this time of year. So um, if that forecast comes to fruition out of the weekend, I think they will continue to cover shorts into the end of the month. Uh, and I think that is the opportunity for the producer that feels undermarketed or under hedged to re-implement something. So I think what they should be doing right now is figure out what their methodology is going to be. How do they want to do that? Do they want to have uh, a sale at the elevator for an HTA? Do they want to have a target on puts? 
Do they want to buy puts and sell calls? You can do that. It's marginable. That's up to you. You want to sell futures? What is your strategy? What is your methodology? And, and likely it should be a combination of, of two to three of those. Uh, and then you have to get your order working and stay disciplined and take the order because when we were making those highs in 2013, and this is not just 2013, this is several years, that high may just be there for a day or two. It's not going to stay there for a week to two weeks and let you think about it. Should I sell it? Shouldn't I sell it? Yeah, let's do it. It's probably not going to work out that way. Once it's done, it's done. Uh, so those would be the things that I would be thinking about right now if I'm a producer and I'm thinking about marketing on a rally here in the short term. As you look at the 23-24 marketing year, what is going to be what's going to be the bigger influence? What's going to have the, the bigger impact? Is the, is it going to be the supply of the grains that are given to the market or the demand side, how we use those grains? Well, I think initially it's going to be the supply. Demand has been a big problem here. Uh, you know, we went from a, a period of, of thinking, hey, China's going to come in and, and buy this spring, which they bought a little bit, uh, and then they started canceling it. So, you know, that was very mixed signals, but we did not get the export demand that I think everybody was hoping for. And then we started to really see the, uh, the old crop balance sheet on the USDA side continue to grow because they continue to reduce corn for export. So I think demand is going to be uh, a continued problem here in the short term. But the major problem is the overall change in the balance sheet that's going to come from uh, the supply. So we're going to go from, you know, trading a 1.3, 1.4 type of old crop carryout to potentially 2.2, 2.3, 2.4, who knows, uh, depending on yield this year. So you, you can see the balance sheet change a billion bushels year over year. And that's going to come from the supply side. Um, so if you get a rally here in the short term on DS23, and I'm glad you brought up 24 because I, I think you got to do something there as well. Uh, in my mind, if you can get at least a $5 floor using some options under next year's crop, because if this year's crop is big and we're in the low fours come fall, which I think we very well could be, um, then you're going to be looking at December 24 corn uh, and probably the mid fours to, at that period of time. And a $5 sale may feel real good. You can always manage the upside on that sale sometime next year in the next summer. But then you think about the change in, uh, in, in the pattern for weather from La Nina to El Nino. And if that's the case, you could have some good back-to-back -back crops, hemisphere to hemisphere, which we could be in an even worse scenario come fall of 2024. Now, granted, input costs should come down and that might make it a little bit more manageable. Uh, but if I can get a, a good floor now and then hopefully be paying some lower input costs next fall uh, because of a declining December 23 board uh, in the low fours, if that's what comes to fruition, I think you're going to be in a pretty strong financial position uh, as, we, as we go into the next year and a half. Right. Brian, it's great to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for taking the time. Appreciate it, sir. You got it, Chad. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Again, we've been visiting with Brian Split. He is with agmarket.net. Be sure and check out uh, what they have to offer. Again, their website, agmarket.net. That is this episode of Grain IQ here on the Rural Radio Network, brought to you in part by the Nebraska Soybean Board. Chad Moyer reporting. Grain IQ is a production of the Nebraska Rural Radio Association with support from the Nebraska Soybean Board. It is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. Grain IQ is hosted by Chad Moyer and produced by Rebel Saklocha. It is written and edited by Alex Makovica. Our project manager is Bryce Duskit. You can listen to Grain IQ on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or online at ruralradionetwork.com.